Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and uh, I am working with some very spotty internet right now, so uh, I'm kind of uh, kind of clenched. I'm hoping that my notes stay open and uh, that I'll be able to upload this when I'm done with it, but uh, we will keep our fingers crossed. Uh, this is X-Lapsed episode 15, and we are going to be discussing Excalibur number one. Now, this was the last of the Dawn of X books that I actually read in real time. Um, and maybe as we work our way through, uh, it might be, be a little bit clearer as to why. Um, now let's get right into it. Excalibur number one, December, 2019. Verse one, the accolade of Betsy Braddock is the name of our tale. It was written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe or two colors by Eric Arseniga. Letters by VCs Corey Petit, design Tom Muller, head of X, Jonathan Hickman, edits Biso White Sobolski, $4.99 United States currency. Uh, release date, October 30th, 2019, and uh, I apologize for all of those names I just ruined and spoiled and destroyed. Uh, yeah, you know, when you see names, and I mean this goes for real names and comic names, when you see them in, in print, you don't always sound them out. And, uh, or maybe you do in your head, but when you, when it actually comes to, like, make the words come out of your mouth, it's another story altogether. So, uh, all of our, all of our folks in the credits, I apologize if I totally, totally messed up your name. Now, for this issue, I got stuck with the design variant cover. That's what they call it, the design variant. It looks, eh, it's a little uninspired when compared to covers with actual characters on them. Um, and I'm not sure what it says about my local shops, but, uh... Maybe they under-order the real covers? Because, uh, I mean, the fact that out of the first three releases, I had to settle twice for lousy variants. Um, maybe that says something that there's an actual appetite out there for, like, the real covers, right? Uh, yeah, it was X-Men number one, I got that stupid cake cover. Marauders, I got the real one. And then this one, I get this, uh, this weird design one. But anyway, let's get right to it. After a uh, mostly full page of text, which I believe the gist of it is some, like, purple prose about magic. Uh, not the character, the actual, you know, mystic whatever. Now, we arrive in Otherworld. And suddenly, it's making a bit more sense to me as to why this was the last issue of Dawn of X I actually read last year. This isn't any fault of the creative team, but, uh, I mean, this just isn't a concept that, you know, outside of very few examples, I find all that interesting. Here we meet uh, Morgan Le Fay. There's a character who, no matter what story she pops up in, no matter what publisher is publishing her, no matter what it, what type of media, she's never managed to interest me in the slightest. 
Anyway, Camelot is under attack. Morgan is leading a fellow named Sir Gaharis down to the Pool of Avalon, and he demands that he looks inside. And she does this by dunking and holding his head under the water. Now, it turns out we've got us a Krakoan gateway in the drink. Before we go any further, let's meet the cast of this issue. We've got Betsy Braddock, Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, Apocalypse, Trinary, and Brian Braddock. Then, our double page spread of creds and back to comics. We're at the Braddock Academy in England. Betsy is preparing to head off to her new life on Krakoa, and uh, she's no longer in her Asian body, and uh, for the life of me, I do not remember when that happened. I, I, I remember it happening, I, or at least hearing that it happened, but I don't know how it all went down. Anyway, she says goodbye to Brian, Megan, and their sprightly children before heading toward a nearby Krakoan gateway. She and Brian talk a bit about their brother Jamie, and how if a paradise like Krakoa were around, it might have kept him on the straight and narrow. And, uh, yeah, it's that kind of thing like where you're watching a TV show and they mention a character you haven't seen in a long time, and then before you know it, boom, there's that character. More on him in a bit. Meanwhile, on Krakoa, Trinary approaches Apocalypse, who's considering this odd new Krakoan gateway that's popped up. Oh, and also, he doesn't want to be called Apocalypse anymore. Now he's going by dot dash dash hash a hash dash dash dot. Uh, Trinary is not sure she can pronounce that, and I'm going to take a stab in the dark here. I'm going to assume that his name just sounds like Mallory's boyfriend, Nick, from Family Ties, where he just goes, Ey. That's that's what I'm thinking Apocalypse is going to go by for now. Now, Trinary reports that she, Sage, and Cypher tried to diagnose this new gate, but it was to no avail. Apocalypse, or, or A, posits that it might be something beyond science. Trinary continues claiming that they were unable to find out where this gate leads, to which A suggests it could very well be Camelot on Otherworld. So he got it in one. As he attempts to access it, he discovers that there has been a barrier built to keep them out. And so they're going to need a champion who can breach it. From here, we jump to an info page straight from the Krakoan grimoires, and uh, I'm sorry, this is a boring one. Um, it's what is above is below. Uh, it just feels like we're eating up a page. Um, back to the story. We're at the Fair Green Hall in North Yorkshire, where this coven of witches called the Coven Solar Blackwood are, you know, doing coveny stuff. They are visited upon by Morgan Le Fay, who has come with uh, something of an ultimatum for them. She wants this gateway destroyed, and claims that until it's done, no mortal will be able to channel the magic of Avalon, which would, you know, make for a pretty boring coven of witches. Well, a more boringer <laughs> coven of witches, I suppose. Now, the witches aren't too sure, as the flowers Morgan shows them are of the new mutant species. LaFay ain't gonna take no for an answer, and she refers to the mutants as witch breeds, so I guess I guess that's a new one. Back on Krakoa, Betsy's arrived. She no longer wants to be called Psylocke, by the way. Uh, what's the deal with this? I mean, we got Call Me Kate over in Marauders, we got Don't Call Me Cyclops, and we got Refer to Me as A. Feels a little artificial, uh, but, uh, you know, what do I know? Anywho, 
She's approached by Jubilee, who's looking to get a little bit tipsy. Betsy asks for directions to the nearest mimosa tree, so uh, that answers one of my questions from Marauders Number 1. I guess Krakoa isn't a dry county. Uh, maybe they just don't have uh, Wolverine's favorite brands in stock. I don't know. Now, before Betsy can tip one back, she's approached by Old GB Gold Balls. Well, actually, he's undergone a name change himself, thank God. He's now going by Egg, which, you know, still an awful name, but world's better than, you know, Durher shiny testicles. Uh, he asks Betsy to accompany him to the hatchery. Upon arrival, we see the latest hatchling, and it's that weirdo Jamie Braddock. From the sounds of it, he's been doing some pretty gross stuff in his already gross hatchling pod. I really don't even want to hazard a guess. Uh, he's also slipping, sipping a brandy or something, so at least the customer service is, is good at the hatchery, right? Yeah, might give him a good review on Yelp or something. He hops out, and Betsy does not seem happy in the slightest to see him. They chat for a bit anyway. Jamie wants his return kept secret from Brian, but Betsy says Brian deserves to know and that she will not lie to him. And then she gives her weirdo weirdo brother a uh, psychic zap and walks away. She is then approached by A. He takes her to this odd new magical Krakoan gateway and suggests that that they're going to need some kind of magic to make their way through. Magic in the form of Captain Britain's amulet. Betsy's all, whatever, and heads back to Brian's estate to inquire about borrowing it. And I mean, this is only a few pages after she left, so it feels like we're going back to Braddock's a bit quick. Um, I mean, how can they miss her if she won't go away, right? She arrives and sees Brian getting into his Captain Britain togs. He can tell that there's something bothering his twin sister, but she shrugs it off and just says that uh, she was so taken aback by seeing him back in uniform. He informs her that he's been called to Otherworld. She informs him that she's coming along. She uses some Krakoan costume tech to Sailor Moon herself into uniform, and off they go. Upon arrival, the Braddocks find themselves ambushed by Lafay and her creepy coven of dorks and LARPers. She brings them over to the Avalon Pool to show them the witchbreed pollution and reminds Brian that he is her most loyal subject. She demands he hunt down the witch breeds responsible, even if that means he starts with his own sister. Back to, back to Krakoa. Mr. and Mrs. X, uh, are, are Gambit and Rogue married still, or did I dream that? Was that something that happened? Uh, they're on the beach talking like they do. Rogue suggests that perhaps they get to work on the third law of Krakoa, which is make more mutants. I thought that was the first law, but I might have read it wrong. Before they can get down to business, they are interrupted by Trinary. She takes them to A and the Otherworld Gate for a chat. Apocalypse feels as though uh, something has gone wrong on the other end, and he wants to use Rogue's abilities in an attempt at weakening the magic that blocks them from entering. Gambit is not down with this plan, but Rogue will do whatever it takes to help Betsy. Gambit suggests they enlist Jubilee, who is the last person he saw talking to Betsy, which makes me just thankful he didn't see her chat with Gold Balls and her weirdo brother. Otherwise, they might be entering the scene. He calls Jubilee, who stows her son Shogo somewhere before attending. Now, I don't know if we're supposed to think Apocalypse might have some sort of vested interest in Shogo, or if just Jubilee's being extra careful because this is Apocalypse, right? She's pretty useless here. She has absolutely no information. He tells Rogue to apply her gifts to the gate. Gambit looks on and says if this goes sideways, he'll kick the big A's ass. To which, he smiles, thinking the threat is quite adorable, which 
if we're being honest, it kind of is. Back in Otherworld, the Braddocks fight off the LARPers for a bit until Morgan Le Fay manages to corrupt the captain. He apologizes to Betsy before shoving the Captain Britain amulet in her face. Back on Krakoa, he has managed to make psychic contact with Bets, and he tells her that she, she needs to disrupt the gateway. So she does so with her psychic blades. Now this causes the Krakoan side of the gateway to explode with, like, vines and stuff. The vines tangle Rogue up, leaving her in an unconscious and naked state. Also, the busted-up gate has made it so Betsy might just be stuck on Otherworld forevermore. Or at least for the next page or two. Now, she fights Lefay for a bit, and it looks like the LARPers are down for the count. Uh, she then snags Brian's Captain Britain amulet, and it looks as though Brian is doing anything he can to fight off Lefay's corruption. She drapes the amulet around her neck, and things begin to glow. Back on Krakoa, Rogue is still KO'd and entombed in those vines. Gambit attempts to make good on his threat from earlier, which is, uh, well, just as adorable as we thought it would be. Then, Betsy Braddock arrives as the new Captain Britain. That's not the end, though. We follow one of the coven LARPers into, the, into a tower. She's got a bag full of those Krakoan data crystals that we've seen, you know, throughout the, uh, you know, the last several episodes. And uh, atop the tower, she's surrounded by people wearing sheets. Huh, did we just get the answer to a certain sinister secret? And she's offered a place among Coven Akaba. And Akaba, I know we've heard that word before. One more boring info page, and we are out of here. So let's have a, uh, a spot of tea and talk about this. Uh, now, I do want to preface with uh, my customary, by no fault of the creative team line here, uh... This issue was, in my opinion, probably the weakest Hox Pox Docs issue up to this point. Now, I know I complained a whole lot about, like, X to the third power during those Powers of X issue, but, I mean, at least those were contained to, like, just a third of an issue. Uh, this, I don't know, it just, uh, it didn't feel important. Um, now, I shared uh, Jason Colby's email last episode where he mentions that, uh, you know, Hickman had whetted our appetites for the extraordinary, and uh, some of the post-Hoxpox offerings have not been that. And uh, this didn't feel, at least not to me, extraordinary in the slightest. Um, and I'm, I'm totally open to this just being my own personal taste. And I actually hope there are folks listening who did enjoy this a whole lot more than I did that would, uh, you know, want to discuss it. I mean, we're talking about Otherworld and LARPing witches. <laughs> That's just going to be a tough sell to me on the best of days. Uh, it also feels like a particularly strange way to launch a series, right? I mean, I could certainly see people coming in fresh from House of X, Powers of X, taking one look at this, raising an eyebrow, and putting it right back on the rack. Because it's... It's weird. It's just... But not the weird that we saw in X-Men number one. This is just a different thing altogether. Now, this isn't to say it was a bad issue at all. You know, I, I not at all. This was this was decent. It's just kind of a tough sell. There were things in it that I liked. Uh, just getting reacquainted with all these characters was really nice. Uh, it gave me that, you know, first day of school after summer vacation sort of feeling. Um, you know, seeing Rogue and Gambit together, even if I'm not entirely clear on what their official relationship status is, it's just really cool to me, and it takes me back to some of my earliest days, you know, as an X-Fan. 
And, I mean, so much of uh, their relationship informed, you know, the way I looked at comic relationships. So it's it's really cool to see him them here together. A Jubilee? I don't know. I guess uh, maybe I don't like her so much as, a, like, a full-fledged grown-up. Um, is she still a vampire? Uh, <laughs> what a what a horrible decade the 2010s were to be an X-Man. That, uh, what was it, Victor Gishler, whoever? Uh, that kicked off, uh, what was it, X-Men Volume 3? That stuff was painful. Let's talk about Call Me Betsy. Uh, have we just become, like, too cool for good old-fashioned code names? I mean, not for nothing, Psylocke is one of the cooler names out there, and it... I remember it took me a while to realize what it meant. I, I always heard that it was a play on words, and I'm like, how does that even make sense? But when you think about how there's a psyche, you know, psyche, psyche, uh, Psylocke. You know, once I figured that out, I thought it was like the coolest and cleverest thing going. But, uh, but you know, on that subject here, I'm pretty sure that uh, Quanan or Revanche or whatever the hell her name is, I think she's starring in Fallen Angels, so maybe she'll take up the Psylocke name. Uh, or maybe we'll just lose a really cool name. I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. It feels like we're getting a lot of that with, uh, people changing names and, uh, and you know, Kitty's now Kate, Apocalypse is and, well, Gold Balls is Egg, and that's better. But, just feels weird to me. Um, Otherworld. Uh, now, the only Otherworld stories I really can get into are the ones that play off. Like, what a weird and whimsical place it is. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about the Alan Davis stuff from the first volume of Excalibur back in the long ago. This, eh, you know, I hate using, I hate using terms like heart, but it didn't feel like there was any. Uh, where, if you look at those old Alan Davis stories, Otherworld had so much heart, so much just weird soul to it. And this just feels... I don't know, it just feels like a, like an episode of like a CW show. Plus, you know, Morgan Le Fay, she ought to like wear a t-shirt with a warning that she may cause drowsiness. She's just so dull. And again, I do want to make sure I say this is by no fault of the creative team. These just aren't concepts or characters that inspire all a whole lot of interest out of me. You know, different strokes and all that. I totally understand and respect that there are folks who really, really enjoy this. I'm not one of them. So what else we got here? Um, Gold Balls is now Egg. So that's a value-added move, I'd say. Uh, I'm sure Mr. Bendis, if he still bothers to read X-Men, which he probably doesn't, uh, might be a bit torqued. But, uh, you know, Gold Balls was probably the weakest attempt at low-hanging, <laughs> see what I did there, comedy in X-Men history. And that's saying something. Um, I'm, I'm glad he's not Gold Balls anymore. Uh, Jamie Braddock's back. Uh, he's always been kind of a boring character to me, too. I can kind of take him or leave him. I, I do like that his favorite Beatles song has come together. I, I remember reading that in a Claremont issue, but other than that, he's, you know, just there. He's a weirdo in a diaper with a mustache. Uh, Jubilee not trusting Apocalypse, or... Uh, I promise I'm not going to do that. Maybe I will. Who knows? Uh, I really like this. I, write, I like her not trusting this guy. Um, unless, of course, I'm reading too much into the too like a just a throwaway line. But it really got my imagination going, thinking that maybe Apocalypse has some designs on Shogo. Now I don't remember a whole heck of a lot about Shogo. I think he first showed up in one of the latter two equally awful and pointless adjectiveless X-Men volumes. Uh, 
And I could swear I remember seeing him floating, unless I'm conflating him with Joy Boy from TechNet, which is certainly a possibility. I, I do like Joy, Joy Boy. Um, but I think this is a very interesting bit, if I'm not reading too much into it. So... We'll 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 put a pin in that, and we'll uh, we'll you know we'll come back to it as we as we go along. Rogue in stasis. Uh, we spent a lot of time on this program talking about stakes, right? This sort of just is what it is. I'm not worried in the slightest about whether or not she'll pull through or come out of it, because I'm like 110 percent sure she will. The real point of interest for this, and and this is something I want to make sure I give credit for, I'm going to hand it to him, is, you know, we know that the stakes, the stakes of life and death are non-existent right now. With, uh, with the resurrections happening, with the hatchery, we know that, we've made peace with that, we're moving on. The stakes that we have now are are like, what, what, what's Gambit going to do while she's entangled in, in comatose? You know, it's like, uh, this is like taking a page out of, like, the, the, the new Hickman method here, where we're, where we're addressing the scenery rather than the actual life or death, you know, stake. Um, and I like that. I think this is, uh, where the more interesting story threads might be, where we've got Rogue who's down and out, but... Instead of focusing on whether or not she'll come out of it, we can maybe shift shift focus over to Gambit and see what he is going to do about it, see how he reacts. And I like that. I will definitely hand it to them for that. Overall, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the more I talk about it, I feel like I like it a little bit more after actually piecing it out. But uh, that said, it still didn't rock my socks. But at the same time, I can't say that I'm mad at it. Um... It's definitely, in my opinion, the weakest weakest outing to this point. And so, you know, like the next issue of Excalibur might not be one I'm looking forward to quite as much as I am the next issues of X-Men or Marauders at this point. And, you know, maybe when we're done with round one of Dawn of X, I'll rank the books in the order that I most enjoyed or whatnot. I don't know if there's any interest in that. And frankly, I don't even know if I'll remember. So <laughs> if I do, we'll do that. If not, pretend I never said it. Uh, now, before I let you all go, got a little bit of feedback here to cover. Our friends uh, Dallas Gibson and Lamar have sent in uh, some messages, so we'll start with Dallas. He says, listening to episode 12, and from my point of view, everything that has happened in X-Comics over the years is legit. It may turn out over the span of dawn that not all happened in this cycle, but Mora's knowledge of past lives is the building blocks of the present, and as readers, we share that info. Excellent point. It's an excellent point, and it's a point of view that I wish I had. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm contradicting myself here. When I said I didn't want the hard and fast list of what happened and the list of what didn't and the timeline, I said I didn't want that, but I feel like we went so far the other direction that I kind of need it. I wish I could let go and just enjoy these as stories, which, you know, much, uh, you know, more well-adjusted people can do. <laughs> I'm sure, but uh, but I'm trying to think here because I mean we've gotten some glimpses into the past, and I'm trying to figure out like where do certain events does it make sense for certain events to have happened? You know, was there a trial of Magneto? You know, was there a Days of Future Past? It was yeah, we know Proteus was born. It was was Legion born? Did Legion happen? Um, I think there's just a lot of questions there, and I, and. 
and even if if Hickman just says yes, it all happened. It's it, you know it all happened. You just fit it in wherever you see fit. I'd be okay with that. But uh, the fact that I don't know, and like we might find out that maybe extinction agenda happened in Moore's fifth life. Maybe the Phalanx Covenant happened in Moore's third life. You know, I I, I don't know how I feel about all that. And uh, like I said, more well-adjusted readers can probably make that uh, can make peace with that. Where I am far too curmudgeonly and too much of a stickler uh, to to just just not know. Uh, and I mean, that's part of the fun. Uh, it's part of the fun. It's part of the frustration for me. Um, more from Dallas, he says, uh, when we eventually see one of the mutants that Mora doesn't want on the island make it to Krakoa, it's gonna blow the lid off, and I can't wait. Couldn't Destiny see Mora's past lives? That's, that's like a little bit foggy, because I do know that when we saw Destiny and Mora, I think that was Mora's third life, that Destiny knew Mora's Power, but I don't know if she necessarily saw the past lives. I, I kind of hope she did because I think that opens up a whole lot of interesting possibilities. Because, I mean, and this is me totally, you know, armchair booking here, but it's like all we have from Mora is her word, right? I mean, what if Destiny shows up on Krakoa and tells a different story than Mora? Maybe we find out Mora's lying. About certain things Maybe she's, you know, she's got machinations of her own I think that there's a lot of meat on that bone And I think that could be very, very fun Uh, Dallas wraps up with She could spill the beans on all the previous horrible acts Of mutant-on-mutant atrocities and whatnot It's very exciting And Hickman wouldn't have mentioned it If it wasn't planned down the line 100% right Uh, You know, uh, Destiny We have, uh, what is it, Chekhov's Destiny here Uh, You don't mention it if you're not going to use it And the fact that we did get a mention of Destiny Toward the end, or I think it was The very last issue of uh, House of X, Powers of X That tells me that We're eventually going to be seeing Destiny And uh, and just like Dallas, I can't wait I think that's going to be That's going to be one of those uh, You know, my famous uh, You know, shoe drop moments Uh but I think that's really cool. Thank you, Dallas, for uh, for writing in. That's a lot of food for thought there, and uh, it, it's things that I didn't consider. It's uh, it's I say it every episode. It's why I love this feedback section because I'm seeing things that I'm not seeing. <laughs> I'm learning things through this. Um, I'm just so stuck in my ways where I where I try to fix a meaning to things that might not have it, and then I I miss things that do have meaning. It's so I, I'm so thankful. That, uh, that folks like Dallas are writing in to, uh, to give me a hand here Let's go to Lamar uh, He says, thanks for the shout-out I'm not going to stop listening He says, also, regarding Sabretooth's punishment He's put into stasis, right? So while he's there Now this, now this here I'm, uh, This is me cutting in This part blew my mind Because I didn't even consider it he says, uh, Lamar says, while he's there Krakoa can suck his life energy Like he did in Giant Size X-Men I never even thought of that. I mean, how cool is that? That's that's basically what Krakoa does, and I didn't even consider that as an option for uh, you know the purpose of stasis, you know, or, or just not maybe not the purpose of stasis, but a byproduct of having them in stasis. I mean, they're down there, 
they're down there for Lord knows how long, Xavier said indefinitely, unless they think of a, a time to that he could be redeemed. Why not feed? That's a, that's such an awesome, awesome idea, and I, I'm kicking myself for not having thought of it myself. So thank you guys for writing in, and thank you for opening my, my eyes to things that I missed. That's just so awesome. But I think that's where we'll put a pin in this for today. Uh, you're, you're all getting out early for uh, good behavior. <laughs> We're not even going to break a half hour today from the looks of it. So that's, uh, that's good. That's good. Um, uh, Excalibur number one. Decent. Decent. Not my favorite. Certainly not. But uh, uh, if you guys agree, disagree, uh, have anything to say, please, please do not hesitate to reach out. Uh, you can find me at Ace Comics on Twitter or weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find uh, the notes to these shows at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. And we also have the dedicated X-Lapsed page at xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. But I think that's all I got for today. I want to thank you all so, so much for hanging out. It uh, really means the world to me. And uh, till next time, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.